So I guess that time Lucas gets the higher billing than, the, uh, than Devin there on that one. Very good, very good. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. There's a good way and a bad way. And Jesus is the only way that will lead us the right way. All right. Well, let's look at the Lord in prayer one more time and then jump into His Word. All right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for just the straightforward truth of that song this morning that uh, we didn't recognize there are two ways to go. And your way is that narrow way, but it's the straight way. Help us to follow the master as he leads us into how to live for him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. And after preaching this one time, I'm, I'm hoping to get more done the second service than I did the first service. So I'm going to speak quickly and rapidly. And no, I won't go too fast. But we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus, as we've entitled it, uh, preaches the best sermon ever. And as we look at the best sermon ever, he's an example for preachers as far as how to preach, uh, though he can do it so much better than we can. We probably have the Reader's Digest version of this message because he probably spoke uh, many hours, maybe amplifying some of the principles he threw in here. But we basically have what everyone who communicates does when he speaks. He he or she speaks. They, they give an introduction, they give the body of the content, and then they give the conclusion. And so I want to review that just a little bit as we have one more Sunday to finish off the best sermon ever as we approach the Easter week. Jesus begins with an introduction, and primarily what he's doing, he's telling them that they need to get in on the life that only God can give them. And he really speaks about that they need to be poor in spirit and all those attributes by which are fundamental if you're going to get in on the life that only God can, can give and only God really truly can offer. And, and then in the, the guts of the message, the, the content section, which we have spent many weeks on, he goes from pleading with them and encouraging them to get in on it to say, well, what's it going to look like if you do get in on it? What's it, what's it going to look like if you live for the Master? If you go down that path, it's the right path rather than the wrong path. And so he speaks about living out the life that God puts into your life. And then at the conclusion, he really, and that's what we're going to be looking at next Lord's Day, he's going to say, now make sure you really got it. Because we can go through the motions, oh yeah, I I get it. I'm trying to live it out. And, And then Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. So next Lord's Day, we're going to look at what Jesus said to make sure people who've heard it really got it. Well, and during this series, in the, in, again, the guts of the message, the, the body of his content, he speaks about a variety of things to show people if you really get it, it's going to demonstrate in how you live. And last Lord's Day, we, we heard about what Jesus said about wealth and worry. And it really doesn't matter how much wealth that we think that we have or don't have, uh, God wants us to recognize that there's... Uh, we need to be good stewards of what we have and, and trust Him and not be filled with concern about uh, things that, that are beyond our control and, and realize that He wants us to, to be good stewards of resources. I, I saw a, a story this past week that I thought I'd begin with uh, concerning maybe the financial area. A girl came running t- uh, with tears to her father. Dad, you gave me some terrible financial advice, she cried. I did. What did I tell you, said the, said the dad? Well, you told me to put my money in that big bank, and now that big bank is in trouble. Over the last few years, have anybody put money in banks that had big trouble? <laughs> A lot of people. Well, what are you talking about? That's one of the largest, most stable banks in the world, he said. Surely there must be some mistake. I don't think so, she sniffed. 
they just returned one of my checks with a note saying, insufficient funds. <laughs> I don't think it was the bank's problem. I think that was her problem. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a different theme, and it really kind of speaks about what he's really been talking about over the last uh, number of messages that we've looked at, is what should God's people look like? And really he's speaking to... Uh, a audience in which the church had not been established. But if we were to update it, we'd say, what should ch- church people look like? I was reading a survey this past week, and those uh, you know, people on the street uh, remarked back, when they think of Christians or church people, they think of three things normally. One, uh, people are too hypocritical. Number two, they're too political. And then thirdly, they're too judgmental. Well, this morning we're going to look at what Jesus said about at least one of them specifically. And I think there's a variety of reasons why people who are outside the church think that people inside the church are judgmental. Sometimes because we are, but sometimes because they don't want to hear the message that's being spoken. And they're feeling guilty about things that they know they're guilty of. But sometimes we do go beyond what God has said and we become judgmental. This morning what I want to do is I want to give you kind of a spiritual sandwich because as I was looking at this passage, it it kind of confused me to begin with because it it was looking like Jesus was speaking to issues and all of a sudden he stuck something in the middle and said, why did you put that there? But the more I thought about it, I think there's a reason for that. Jesus says that God's people, our church people, are supposed to be, number one, he tells us what we shouldn't be, be not judgmental. And at the end, he says that we ought to be helpful But in the middle, he says, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is we ought to be prayerful. Don't be judgmental, be prayerful, and then be helpful. And in that last section, we'll look at what has been commonly known as the golden rule. And I really believe that in that spiritual sandwich, the meat in in between is how we can be people who aren't known as being judgmental, and how can we be known as people who live out the golden rule, which is... um, Uh, treating as we understand that we want to be treated, treat others in the same way. Whatever we want people to do to us, do also to them. The only way that's going to happen is by prayer because we're naturally not that kind of people. Well, let's look at this morning as we, we look at the text. What are we supposed to be? Be not judgmental, but I do want to add this other phrase, but do judge. Be not judgmental, but do judge. And I'll throw that in right in the beginning, and I'll use the word to Jesus that affirms that. Do not judge according to appearance. But there's not, a, there's not a period in that passage in John 7, 24, is there? There's a comma. And right after that, he says, but judge with righteous... What's the next word? Judgment. We are called as God's people to make judgments, but they ought to be righteous judgments. And in the text that we're going to look at this morning, one of the more familiar passages in all of God's Word, we're going to see Jesus say something that almost sounds like, well, we should never judge anybody. But he's talking about the the judgment that is an unrighteous judgment rather than a righteous judgment. Let's look at that very familiar verse. John chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. How many have ever heard that verse before? Almost everyone, even a person who doesn't ever go in the Bible, has heard that. Judge not, lest you too be judged, as the old King James would say it. 
It sounds like he's saying don't ever make a judgment on people's lives. But that's not the point. And we're going to see that as we go through the text. And what I want to do is, is just go through this passage and say what he does say. And, and also for some of us, maybe for the first time, look at what he does not say, which is never make a judgment. What is he saying in that first verse? Do not judge, uh, do not, judge not that you be not judged. Letter A. What he's saying here is that we are not to condemn others as if we were God. He's saying, when we, when we do this kind of judgment, it's an unrighteous judgment. And what we're doing is we're putting our position as, as high as God himself. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 kind of puts that in, in perspective. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? What kind of judgment is he talking here? He's talking about a judgment in which it leads you to that point which you speak evil of another. Where you put yourself in a position where you're not just correcting behavior or making an assessment of what was done or not done, but it's looking at the person and putting a verdict of evil upon them. The Bible says that we are not to be slanderous in our talk. And anyone who has a habit or a circumstance where you're speaking evil of another person, you are doing that which is reserved only for God to do. Because in putting in its larger context, every person who comes to faith in God was once what? Evil. And so when we pronounce a judgment, that person is so evil then uh, we are placing ourselves in the hands of God, in the place of God, which he will make that final verdict. And, and so we judge God's law when we do what that which God's law says not to do, which is to slander others and to condemn others. And not only do we judge the law, but we also make ourselves as the one who is the judge and takes that position which God has in terms of condemning others. Have you ever been in that position where Maybe you're, you're sharing opinions about something a little bit stronger than uh, the other people are particularly wanting you to share. And maybe you're giving barking orders out to people who don't think you're the one who should be giving the art orders out. And they say something like, well, who died and put you in charge? <laughs> Anybody get that? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the kind of the idea here. He, he's saying the idea of judging not uh, is that he does not want you to do that, that type of judgment in which you are condemning others. But he goes on from here, however, and he, and he widens, the gap, the widen, widens the understanding of what he means by this in terms of, the, of being not judgmental, but judging. And I'm using that in a distinct way. It's one thing to, to make a statement about something in a way of correction or helping, and it's another thing to, to put someone down when you make that assessment or judgment. That's what we mean by judgmental, when you are when you're bringing someone down rather than correcting. Like when I shared with you already, when someone after the first service said, I didn't like the way you wrote your name. Well, I didn't take that personal. It was kind of, it was kind of bad, so I tried to rewrite it again. But if they, con- you know, if they had condemned me as an idiot because I had poor handwriting, that would have gone the next, that would have been a little bit further. Understand the different distinction here? It, one thing is correcting behavior, and the other is condemning. He goes on in this passage in, Je- in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, and says this, for with what judgment you judge, 
you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Here he now brings another point. This is letter B in your outline. We are not to judge unless you, are, unless you or we are willing to be judged by the same standard. Now look at what he says in Romans chapter 2, or at least what Paul says, which has the same idea. Therefore, and he's speaking to very religious people, the Jewish people at that time, Paul, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for whenever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Now, I'm not a, a particular communicator who has a tendency of pointing the fingers out, you know. But if I were to be that kind of a speaker, and I, I don't think that's all right in certain circumstances, but if I point a finger at someone else, one finger's going out, but how many are coming back? Three. Four if you can get that thumb coming back, right? And, and what he's saying here, if you're going to do that, if you're going to judge people, recognize that you too will be judged. And you better make sure that the standard you're putting on someone else is the same standard you're willing to have others put on you. Now, I didn't say this in the first service, but it's interesting if you look historically at, at, at a variety of people in public who have done certain things. Some of them were, the, were that fell into certain type of behavior or activity or what the Bible would call sin. They were the ones up front condemning that in others. And all of a sudden you found out later they were doing exactly the same thing, which totally amazes me. But, but it happens more often than not. The, the things that sometimes we speak most loudly about are the things we are most guilty about. Now, that's not always the case, but we need to be very careful, and that's what he was saying here. You see yourself as a judge? You are doing exactly the same thing. Look at uh, verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? And really, the idea here, again, we are not to judge unless we are willing to be judged by the same standard. To put it another way is this. If you're going to give it out, you better be willing to what? Take it. And I found a lot of people are willing to give it out, but they don't want to take it. They get very defensive if people that maybe they have criticized all of a sudden become critical of them. And in many ways, that disqualifies us to be critical of others if we're not willing for people to be critical of us. If we are quick to correct, are we just as eager to be corrected? Now, actually, I think that is a place which we ought to all pursue, that we are willing to correct others, but then we ought to be even more so willing to be corrected. And that's what Jesus is speaking into. He goes on in Matthew 7, and I, I don't have the major text in outline, I have the cross-references. He says in verse 3, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And, and that's the third point in your outline, or letter C, is we are to look at our own sin before we look at the sin of others. And here he gets now to that point where we are not to be judgmental, but we are to judge. Now, the idea of a, of a speck, and really, probably literally, it's more like a twig in, in, in someone else's eye and a plank or a two-by-four in your eye, he, he's not talking about a, 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 a very small speck in someone else's eye. Uh, and, and I think the reason he doesn't use that word, though it is translated in many, other, in many of your versions, is there are certain things that happen in people's lives you ought to just 
just let go. You know, the Bible says that love covers uh, what kind of sins? A multitude of sins. And I think the multitude of sins there are the, the little things that aren't a big deal. I mean, they're just things, okay? Just let it go. But if there are things that are going to damage somebody, then, then you want to be a kind of person which you can be, do surgery on them, help them with that. But what he is saying, for you to be qualified to do that, you've got to make sure that you're seeing clearly. You know, if I have someone do some kind of medical treatment on me, uh, particularly if they're doing surgery, if they're going to cut on me, then I want to make sure that they can see very, very clearly. I don't want anything in their eyes when they're, they're working on my body. And that, if that is true physically, it should also be true spiritually. Whenever we go and invest our life in someone else, and let's just put it down in plain language, whenever you see something wrong in someone else's life that you are quick to mentally and hopefully not verbally criticize, but if you see it as something wrong, you think it's wrong enough, then go to that person and talk to them about it. To qualify to do that, make sure you've looked at your own life first. Is there anything in your life that needs to be cleared up so you can see clearly into their life? It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, it says that we, should even never take, we shouldn't even take communion unless we've looked at our own life to see that our life is right before God. In Psalm 51, we have the story of David and Bathsheba, and he's been convicted of that sin and confronted with it. And then he says, okay, my life is messed up, but I wanted to be cleaned up, so now I can help other people in their lives. So we are not to be judgmental, but we are to judge, and we need to be prepared to judge. Well, how do you clear up your eyesight? Well, if you clear up your eyesight on a physical level, you go to an ophthalmologist, and you know, if they have to do some things, some of you have had... Um, What's that stuff that floats in your eyes? Um, cataracts. Some of you have had cataract surgery. You know, and that once you get that out, some of you said, I, I see better than I've ever seen in my entire life, you know. And, and, and that was a great uh, treatment that you got from a doctor to clear up your eyesight. Now you can, now I don't have to be feeling so fearful when I see you drive on the road because you can now see, no. Is that, I was like, Warren got that surgery. Now I'm, I'm much more relieved when he's on the road, okay. It is, you know, when you get that kind of surgery, it helps you to, to live life in a, in a clear more healthy and safe way. How do you do that spiritually? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, I don't have it in your outline, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But again, there's not a period there. And then it goes on, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sins, He not only continually forgives us, but He cleanses us, kind of setting us back on the, on the playing field to live for Him. So how are we to be not judgmental but to judge? Number one, we are not to condemn others as if we were God. We, we are not to judge unless we are willing to be judged by the same standard. What goes around comes around. We are to look at our own sin before we look at the sin of others. Fourthly, or letter D, we are to judge others to help them not to hurt them. Look at verse 4 and 5. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to what? Remove the speck or the twig or the splinter from your brother's eye. See, implied in that, those two sentences, those two verses, is that he does want us to judge. He wants us to judge or be in a position where we can help or correct someone else. Uh, if something is wrong in my life, I want someone to tell me. You know, the worst thing you could do with a physical 
illness or disease is to find out about it too late. When we go to a doctor, a medical doctor, and there's something wrong with us, we don't want them to consider our feelings too much. We want them to tell, hey, tell, me, tell it to me straight. Is, do I have to have surgery or treatment to, to correct this? Now, we, we, we appreciate a good bedside manner, but we want to know the truth. And, and what Jesus is saying, he's saying both sides of this. You need to be loving and caring, but once you remove that which is wrong in your life, now you're qualified to go alongside another and help them. In fact, that's what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, and what does spiritual mean there? Those who have looked at their own life and got what's wrong in their own life corrected. We're never perfect, but we've dealt with things in our own life. Restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm sure if any of us, if we were walking outside from the worship experience this morning and we tripped and we broke a leg, everyone wouldn't just walk right by and say, well, that was too bad. Wish that hadn't happened. Hope somebody helps them. You know, we would all do whatever we could to do what we could to get help for that person. If we were medically oriented, we might uh, try something. We might, if a, if, a, if a bone was sticking out, we might reset it if we felt we were skillful at that. But all of us who had, had access to a phone would call 911 or we'd bring some kind of comfort, a uh, something to put their head under and, and, and over or whatever it might be. We'd do whatever we could to help that person. And see, God wants us to help people spiritually as well. When something's wrong in their life, we want to come alongside and help them. I mean, take it in any part of life. If, if I came out of some place and I had spinach between my teeth, you know, and I was with somebody for a whole day, and then I got home and I found out there was spinach between, between my teeth, I said, why didn't they tell me? You know? All they had to do was look in the mirror and see if they had spinach in their teeth and they're qualified to get spinach out of my teeth or at least tell me about it. And that's what he's saying here. He's not saying we never judge, but don't be judgmental in the, in the sense of being condemning. But help people when we can. Letter F. Letter E. We are to help people. We are not to help people who don't want help. We looked at that, be not, judge not that you be not judged, but this is a verse for many people to go, what in the world is he saying here? Look at verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your, spurls be, your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. You ever wonder what that verse meant? I mean, that's a strange verse. And uh, there are a variety of opinions of what that passage might mean, but let me give you my sense of what it means. Particularly in context here, he's talking about being non-judgmental, but judging. Helping people once you've corrected that which is wrong in your own life. Well, now you're prepared to help. Come alongside a person and, and point them in the right direction. But he said, now, I, I want to give you one warning, however. There are some people out there that you want to give help to, but they don't want to receive your help. And you can't help someone who doesn't think they need help or don't want help. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, it's a variety of passages in the New Testament, where he said, I came as the great physician, but I did not come to, into this world to help those who were well, but help those who were sick. And implied in that statement was that those who think that they are well have no need for me to speak to them because they don't have ears to hear. And when he sent out the disciples, I think in your outline I have it, Matthew chapter 10, verse 4. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. But really, when he sent out the disciples to preach the message and, and the people didn't want to hear, he said, you know, take off your shoes and shake off the dust and don't go back. 
And so there's certain people in our lives, they're at a, a stage in life, we don't know if it's temporary or permanent, but they don't want to hear what we have to say. And he compares them to dogs and to pigs, swine. Now, dogs in that day were not creatures that you put in your home. They were not pets. They were scavengers. They were very vicious. Uh, they were very dangerous to be around, particularly in various uh, times or places. They would attack you. And, you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't pet a dog that looks like it wants to bite you. And, and that's what he's saying here. People who, who don't want to hear, don't force it down them. And the same thing with the, the pig or the swine. And if you had a, a pearl necklace, you, you might not, if you had a pig that, or a swine that you particularly like, you wouldn't put that necklace around the pig. It'd be a waste of fine jewelry, and that, that swine, that pig, would not appreciate the value of that gift. And so there are times, and to put on a practical level, there are people that we care about that maybe at that point they're not prepared to hear the message. And so we need to maybe live it in front of them, we need to pray for them, but we don't need to speak into their lives because at that moment they don't have ears to hear. So Jesus in this message in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how they ought to live out the life of being connected with a giver of life. And one area is be not judgmental, but do judge. But then he almost just throws this in. And before we get to that, I guess I have two other points I need to share with you. <laughs> is, well, how are we supposed to judge? What things should we judge? Look at, um, well, you're not going to look at the passage, but let me just give it to you. We are not to judge people's motives. If there's one area that's off limits, just, just refrain from being an amateur psychologist or a discerner of spirits, people do a lot of things for a lot of reasons. And you might, not, you might be able to figure out what their motive is, but uh, y- there's no way to know for sure if you really concern what people's motives are. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I don't even judge my own motives. They're too c- convoluted. There's going to be a judgment, but God's going to judge our motives. We can judge people's actions, but we can't judge people's motives. And I'll, I'll throw this in for free. Uh, I, I'll be a little political here. I, I think the whole idea of hate crimes is just foolishness. I mean, if the crime is worthy of a certain consequence or punishment, give the consequence or the punishment for the crime. How can you judge people's motives? It doesn't matter what the motive is. I don't care what the motive is. If someone did something you know, horrendous, then give them that kind of... a. a, a a worthy punishment for the, the crime. And, and, and that's, what G, that's what Paul was saying here. Don't, don't judge people's motives. Judge their actions. And then G, uh, there's a lot we could say about this. We are not to judge others over superficial issues, and we should not cause anyone to stumble. stumble. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself. But sometimes we get in real trouble because we share our opinions about things that really don't matter, are not significant. And that creates all kinds of problems relationally. People have the right for their personal opinions. If it's, if it's a crucial issue, then speak into it. But if it's just a personal opinion, you know, you might share your opinion, but don't feel like you have to convince the people of something that is not, uh, not necessary. And that's a whole background there if you read uh, Romans chapter 14. Well, right in the middle of this whole issue of being not judgmental but judging, Jesus throws in prayer. We are called to be prayerful. Look at Matthew 7, 7 through 11. 
Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And I think this particular passage on prayer, asking and seeking and knocking, one that we've heard many, many times about, about prayer, is in the context of, of how we are to be non-judgmental but judge and how we are to live out the golden rule. That the only way we can do that is by prayer. It's like that verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we think any task, any responsibility, we can claim that verse and God will give you the strength to do that. And there might be at times some wider application of that, but really that verse there is for being content in all things, whether you have a lot or a little. And I think this idea here is saying that God will answer the prayer about being non-judgmental but judging righteously. He will answer the prayer of living out the golden rule, but it's only going to happen in your life if you're asking and seeking and knocking. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me within the church and outside the church, and they'll say this to me, people can't change. And, I, and I, after I go on this conversation a little bit, I say, you're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here. You, don't tell preachers that people can't change because that's, that's why I'm in the ministry because I believe people can change. But people can change by the power of God, not by the human instruments that we so often put our trust in. And, and people can be less judgmental who are, have a tendency to be judgmental. People who judge unrighteously can learn to judge righteously, but it's only going to happen through the power of God. People who never try to live out the golden rule can live out the golden rule, but it's only going to happen if we ask and we seek and we knock. In this whole section on prayer, he compares this prayer to a, a, an earthly father and a heavenly father. He says, why wouldn't God answer that kind of prayer? Because a good father always answers good prayers or good requests. If a, if a little boy comes up to his father and says, can I have some bread? He's not going to give him a stone or a rock. And, and the reason that was illustrated during that day is because the stones of that day looked like the bread of that day. And you could say, Here, here's, a, here's some bread. And if the, if the child did not look very carefully and bit into it, he could bite off a tooth. And it would be a sick dad that would make that a joke for, for confusing his, his son between a, a bread, piece of bread and a rock that looked the same. Same thing with a fish and a and, a, and a, a, a serpent or snake. Not that a fish and a, and a snake look the same, but if you prepare it in a meal, uh, you might not be able to distinguish the difference between a, a fish and a snake. God would not do that. He's not a capricious God. You know, in, in that day, and well, every day, people are incurably religious. People have all kinds of gods. Remember the Greek do- gods? You know, God made us in His image, and the Greek gods, the, the, the Grecians made... They're gods in their image. And so they were just all powerful human beings that could last forever. I read one story about Aurora and Tithonius. And Aurora found uh, Tithonius as, as her, her, her soulmate. And yet he was a human and she was a goddess. And so she, she went up to the Greek god Zeus and said, will you grant me one wish? And Zeus said, yes, I'll grant you one wish. And the wish was, will you allow Tithonius to live forever? And she said, yes, I'll grant that, risk, that, that request. The only problem is... Uh, Zeus uh, only did the, the letter of the law, and so the letter of the request. And so Aurora lived forever at the same age that Tithonus 
lived forever, but aged. And so she was eternally young, and he was eternally old. And, God, and what Jesus said, this is not the God, the true God. He is not a capricious God. He is a loving a Father who would only grant that which is good for those he cares about. So as we think about prayer, we need to be praying for that which God is concerned about, and he's concerned about our character. But he moves on here, and he talks about next that one verse, which is the golden rule, verse 12. And I put it in this, we ought to be non-judgmental, but judge. We ought to be prayerful, and we ought to be helpful. Look at verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And as you look at that, this, that what's called the golden rule is similar to a lot of statements that have been down, done, made down through the ages, but it's distinctly different in the way Jesus put it. For instance, Confucius said this, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Rabbi Hillel said this, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to someone else. Uh, another writer, uh, prophet said this, don't harm others so they won't harm you. If you go down and examine a lot of the great saints, a lot of the rules of life uh, given by so many types of people, you'll find they're all in the negative. But what Jesus said was in the positive and proactive. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Or as one translation or paraphrase is, whatever, however you want men to treat you or other people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And, and really, what he's saying here, and this is the... This is the the practical steps for loving your neighbor as yourself. That sounds great, love your neighbor as yourself, but what does that look like? Well, how do, how do you like to be treated? How, how do you like people to do things for you? Well, in the same way that you like to be treated, now treat others exactly the same way. Now, how easy is that to do? It's impossible. It just, it doesn't come naturally. And yet that's what he said love is. It's, it's living for others as you want them to live. However you want to be treated, I want you to treat people exactly the same way. And part of the way we realize where that's happening is how do we respond when people don't treat us that way? Kind of, kind of tying the two ideas, the idea of being not judgmental but judging and and living the golden rule. This past uh, weekend, on, on Friday, my older son, Tim, invited us out to Tustin to be with uh, some of the family, and they went to a place called uh, Brushstroke. And I'm thinking of Doris as I, I give this analogy. And it, it was a place in which they, they teach amateurs or have, give you an, a night in which you can create a painting. And so they gave us an easel, and they gave us a canvas, and then uh, they gave us a couple hours of instruction where we, we kind of mirrored what the person who was doing the picture on the canvas uh, was doing. And, and so after the two hours, and we were doing something, and uh, we were all doing it together. There was about 30 people in the room, and then afterwards, it was all done, and, and some of the, the artists there went by all our creations, okay? And it was very simple what we did, but they went by, Alice was sitting right next to me, and, uh, and, and they came by hers, and they go, oh, this looks awesome. This is so gorgeous. I like the way you use colors. And, and man, have you ever done this before? You look like you really got this. This is a, this is a naturally gift. And they were just, they went on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, I'm right next to her. I'm thinking, oh, I'm next. <laughs> so, so, they, so they came next to me and they go, uh, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's a picture. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm waiting for a little bit more, and that, nothing was coming, all right? So, so you know, they, they judged her picture, and they, and they judged mine. And then, and, then, uh, and then they asked her, well, what are you going to do? I think you got to put this in your family room, or put this in your living room. And I said, oh, yeah, maybe we'll do that. And then they, and then they looked at me and said, well, uh, what are you going to do with yours? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking what they're thinking. I go, well, I, I guess I could hang it in the garage. <laughs> you know? They made a judgment, and they were, obviously, later on, they, they tried to encourage, oh, I thought you did a good job for the, for the first time, or whatever, you know, they, you know, they went on, but, you know, they were accurate, you know, I, I'm not an artist, I, I did my best, and it, you know, it, it, you know, it was all right, but, but we need to be honest with people, and, and some, how are we going to react when people really tell us the truth? Say, you know, that, that's true, I, my, my picture isn't as, as good as Alice's. And if, you know, I could, there's a number of you, Doris does paintings and others have, have done some things and, you know, whatever I would do or somebody else or even out, wouldn't even compare what, what you could do. But what God is saying into our lives, are, are we at the place where we recognize that God wants us to live in a way that shows that we get it? We want, do not want to be known as being judgmental in the idea of being condemning. But he's not saying that we never make judgments because we need to make judgments so that we can be people who invest our lives in other people's lives so we can help them. And the only way that's going to happen is if we pray. And on the other side, if we're really going to be people who understand what it means to be loving, to be helpful, and it means that we need to, to be like Jesus said, whatever you want others to do to you, do also to them. Don't be like the world. Do it to them before they do it to you from a negative perspective. But treat others like you want to be treated and show the love of Christ in a powerful way. Let's pray. Father, help us to to get it and then to live it. And Father, this is an area where so often we can fall into, to be to be the critics of this world. There's so many critics, and there are movie critics, there are food critics, there are art critics, there's music critics. But Father, help us not to be known as being critical, but help us to be people who, in a loving way, help to be correctful in people's lives. Help us to be people who, who understand how we like to be treated and treat people in the same way. Father, we pray that we might be asking and seeking and knocking to be the people that show that Jesus lives in us. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. This morning as we conclude, let's stand as we